This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, music could be the therapy you never knew you needed. Jennifer Buchanan, the Executive Director of the Canadian Association of Music Therapists, joins us to discuss how music therapy is playing an increasingly important role in fostering social, emotional, and academic skills while also promoting mental health, general health, and an increased quality of life. Handy Andy Barrar is with us on The Shift. He helps us understand some of the things that are going around DNA testing, DNA testing your dog, and social media censoring as well. Maybe some social media influencing coming from TikTok and so much more. Plus, are you okay with cookies? Girl got cookies. And how about ranch flavor? Ice cream. It's weird. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. When do you use music in your life? That's the question. When is it most important? When is that one time, regardless of what you're going through, that music is important? Is it the time when you're making dinner? Is it when you wake up in the morning? Is it maybe before you go to bed? Is it when you're having a bad day and you want to sort of reframe and change your thought process? What is that for you? Music is this wonderful thing that magic that we can't explain. There's a connection that happens with our bodies. That's just, it's one of the the coolest things. And that's just the rhythm part, let alone the lyrics and participating. So that's where we are going with music today. What if music could be that therapy session that you didn't know you needed? And this is where I introduce you to Jennifer Buchanan. Uh, Jennifer is a music therapist. More than that, though, MBA, MTA, Executive Director, Canadian Association of Music Therapists. And you... Um, this is what you guys do. You take musical opportunities to help people um, either cope, learn, develop, uh, dissipate stress. I like to call it letting air out of a balloon. Um, how are you? Thanks for being here. Ah, uh, thanks for having me. And you know, I love how you just went right into that. And you were just breaking down how all the different elements mm -hmm. of music affect us, how all the ways that we can um, receive our music through it, you know, live engagement or whether we're listening to it. And essentially, as a music therapist, that's our job is to work with people in a real personalized way as if, um, you know, we're sitting with them at the bedsides or in sessions in a studio. And we are breaking down music into all these different elements of genre or tone or tempo and finding exactly what you need so you can achieve the specific goal you're looking for. So I like how you brought brought that all together. What's your go-to? What's your one thing in your personal life, uh, the, the one place that music always is? Is it when you're getting ready in the morning? Is it when you get home at night to relax? Where's the one place that you always have it? You know, as you were mentioning that at the beginning, I, I was gonna, I was answering the question with the answer that I don't want people to use, yeah. which is I use music when I'm feeling good. Yeah. And um, I forget about it, too, when I'm not. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, you know, I go to other things. I will go to like a bag of chips mm. or a half bottle of wine. And we know that music has the capacity to turn it around so efficiently and effectively uh, because it's a global brain process, because it hits all the reward centers of our motivation and our mood, that we can turn this around. And music would be much more healthy 
than me going to that bag of chips yeah. and that half bottle of wine. So as you were asking that, I went, oh yeah. And this is how we work with our clients is, is to uh, find the healthiest way for us to use music. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's just a big difference when you go for that glass of wine or you go for those chips, <laughs> when you're intentionally saying, you know what I really want? I want to yeah. taste my favorite wine today, or I want to uh, sit down and enjoy my favorite chips. That is a totally different scenario than pick it up just because routine. Um, I like to call it escape hatch sort of distraction. <laughs> Um, all those other things that happen, which we've all done, no judgment. Right. We've all been there. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, that's, that's quite fascinating to, to look at it that way. I, mine's probably driving. I think that, oh, yeah. um, so I know that a lot of people like to listen to the radio on podcasts mm -hmm. when they're driving. For me, it lets me get out of that critical thinking, logical self mm -hmm. and get into the songs. And then it allows me the space of if my, my critical thinking is, really kicks in right um that thinking self really kicks in then at least i can know wow like i i got too much on my plate i'm trying to problem yeah. solve problem solve problem solve even though the songs are playing so that allows Absolutely. me a, a whole new perspective cognitively yeah. to be aware of of where i'm at too so that's probably where it hits me the most fascinating to think of it that way really <laughs> i've really found so i've really found uh, some new ways so i've been in around music industry for you know well 30 years. Right. Hmm. Um, and so for me, more than that, even for me, I mean, music for me has been an inventory based system. Uh, it's like boxes on a shelf because I was hmm. part of the music industry. Only hmm. now have I maybe matured enough or got to the point where I'm able to look at music and just be with it again. I was like that when I was DJing and I was able to be around it that way. But now I am again, and I have my positive vibes playlist when you like, you talk about that feel happy stuff. I have those things, which I haven't had in so long and to be able to rediscover, it's really kind of cool too. So it must be neat from your perspective in the therapy, when you see people mm -hmm. discover or rediscover music for the first time in that rhythm, it, it, you probably can see that light bulb go off. Absolutely. And you know, I'm thinking, as you're talking, there is a difference between having music hit us, you know, that that we're in an environment where it's just happening to us versus it going to that next level of engagement and using music on purpose for something. Mm -hmm. And and that is where the music therapy starts to happen, where, you know, we may be working with someone who's just sustained a pretty serious head injury and has lost some capacity either to their speech or or to their gross or fine motor movements. And we're using music very specifically on purpose to help, you know, develop those skills and improve those skills. Um, and and I would say, you know, when you were talking about driving in the car and and now it's, you know, it's you're using it on purpose in the car. Um, I remember, it was after my second child was born. They were only 15 months apart. I was about nine months in after post having my second child. Mm -hmm. And I can remember reaching down and turning on the radio to music for the first time in nine months and not even realizing till that moment that I had been suffering a low. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we take a break and step back from music, as soon as we have that moment of feeling some level of burnout about music, which is something that innately as humans, 
we love and and relate to and connect to it's definitely an indicator so having those moments where music comes back to us and we are engaging it and asking those questions of okay what has shifted um yeah that's that's key that is that's fascinating i mean this is a mile wide though jennifer like when you talk about music (laughs) therapy um you you can talk about it from the perspective of maybe somebody who has some uh mental uh, capacity limitations just because of um condition or Uh their own growth or lack thereof um and so that can provide entertainment and connection with other people when they're around music but the other part you speak of somebody who has maybe brain damage that they are rewiring neural pathways that allow them to start getting motor skills back or uh, cognitive thinking back and all of these things because the brain starts to rewire uh, like some shortcuts. They, it, the old shortcut doesn't work, so now it goes around the block, right? And <laughs> right. and so it, it is fascinating to look at that. It must be almost confusing or overwhelming as a music therapist. To Do you have to narrow it down? Because I imagine you have one client who's simple in what they need and then one one that that person that you're talking about is maybe so specific from some sort of uh, damage or trauma that mm-hmm. every single stroke of that drum they're doing today is is so intentional to to rebuild those pathways. So from fun and playful to down to work. I I think that's what keeps this all so interesting. You know, by being curious about the human experience and what we are going through as individuals as well as collectively as a society, this this is where the interesting pieces start to come in. And, and music can become this incredible backdrop, not only to the session, and actually it's in the foreground during the session, but this incredible backdrop to keep times in our life, sometimes, yeah, we've been blindsided by something we didn't expect. We didn't expect we were going to be in the hospital for the next week. We didn't expect we were going to have a stroke and have to recover. We didn't expect that, you know, our four-year-old was um, going to feel so stressed that they just stopped talking. Like all of those things happen in all of our lives on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, there's, there's this huge spectrum of that versus our use of music on a day-to-day basis to, to support us with some of this day-to-day stress we're having. Most of us are having. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly having it on yeah, me too. a regular basis. I'm with you. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, you know, this this huge spectrum. But as a music therapist, yeah, this makes it like the coolest job in the world mm-hmm. to get to know people through their music wherever they're at on that spectrum. So child psychologists will take, you know, a bunch of toys and lay them on the table and, and you know, very intentional which toys are on the table, right? There's a ball and there's a warm, fluffy, stuffy, and then there's, um, you know, maybe a puzzle, different things, right? To sort of observe where the child goes. What do they, do they go for comfort? Do they go for creation? All those things, problem solving. Is that what it's like for you as a music therapist too? Yeah. In some scenarios, you kind of maybe put down a tambourine and maybe put down a drum uh, a ukulele or something like that. Is that, is that help us understand what that looks like when you get started? Yeah, I love that. So like, what's our, what's our toolkit? You know, we all have one, right. You know, like here today, we're looking at our microphones and, you know, we're having this conversation around, you know, and, and we paid attention to the sound that we're creating. Yeah. 
our toolkit will include instruments for sure. It could also include um, mechanisms for writing music and writing songs. Um, and one of the things we talk about a lot, especially with working with youth, is lining out. So we might bring a familiar song that talks about something pretty important. We might take out words and those youth will fill it in with their own words so they well, can begin to express that's a, themselves. That's fun for everybody. That's anyway. so fun we do for that here. everybody. We do that here on the shift. We call it the cheeky bleep where we take a perfectly oh, clean like song <laughs> and we bleep out a clean word and allow oh, for uh the person's nature to fill in the blank and <laughs> most of us are pretty dirty when we get there oh so man it's fun. oh man and then we uh and then there might be other activities that we do first like um one that i was just doing last week was i i'm working with a group of people and they're all incarcerated, every one of them. That's where I'm meeting them. And uh, we are assessing sort of when are they feeling they're low in a day. And um, that's going to vary for some people. Some people, it's right when you wake up. Some it's at noon. Some it's, you know, dinner time. Some it's going to be before bed. But you identify your low. And we were coming up with... Um, you know, music sustains us. And even if you don't have access to music, we often have those earworms that we can still sing some or think about songs. And, and our brain doesn't differentiate whether it's actually necessarily hearing it or we're really dreaming about it. It's happening in our brain. And so we talk about, you know, what's one song that... um would help give you a little bit of fuel and a little bit of juice at that time just to get you over the the rough patch of that moment. And we can all do that. Um, you know, there's no other activity we know of that lights up more areas of the brain simultaneously than when we are really intentionally thinking about that piece of music that that inspires us, that matters to us. And uh, And just, you know, Occasionally, we just need something to get over a bit of a hurdle. Well, isn't that interesting, right? Um, we there are so many applications because you're look if you're dealing with somebody who's incarcerated, there must be those psychology elements of reprogramming not only ways of thinking but just habits in the day, right? Outlets. Um, someone who's incarcerated, not to pass judgment on it, but they've probably had a situation where they've seen some hard times and felt desperation. I think that's a safe one. And also there's probably some sort of distra distraction or escape hatch that they take. Um, both of those are probably present in some fashion. So isn't it interesting to be able to just say, hey, by the way, did you know uh, maybe bongos is your thing? Um, <laughs> keep the bongos in your car. And if you feel overwhelmed or tempted... Just pull That's over right. on the side of the road and start banging away on your drums and, and reset that brain again. So right. tell me about the brain science part, because that that's fascinating. The electricity, right? I, I love, we could open our brains right now. We can't see Jennifer and Shane's interview memory, <laughs> right? It's just, there's no file card, but right. the brain is so fascinating. Do you get to spend some time with that too? Yeah, I certainly do. And you know, I, this is where I've done some writing and, and the latest book that I wrote, Wellness Well Played, I made sure to dedicate an entire chapter to the art and science of music. And uh, it is interesting. I, I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember growing up and it was probably still in grade school and 
people would say, oh, you're so good at music. You're probably really, you must be really good at math. Like that was a thing, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely was, yeah. And I can remember because you could count to four, right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I can remember thinking, oh, I wish that was true. (laughs) I wish that was so true because it's not exactly how it all works, does it? You know, we've already talked about how it is global. We know that. We know that it affects these reward centers. I was just saying, we know we can get our mood, you know, absolutely shifted. We know that it's releasing all these hormones and neurotransmitters in our system. So we know that, you know, if it's the right music at the right time, our dopamine can go up, our serotonin goes up, our oxytocin, so we feel all love and affectionate can go up. And then our cortisol and stress can go down. We know all these things happen with music. It does act like a drug. Um, we also know that when our amygdala is on fire and we are worrying about something over and over and over again, music is an incredible brain interrupt, which can take us into another area. It can take us into the thalamus. It can take us into the hippocampus and other areas of the brain that as soon as they're activated, that amygdala can't stay on fire in the same way. It literally fans out that flame. And what happens is that then we can make maybe our next decision, maybe an even better decision than we otherwise would. I always remind people that although music's never going to get rid of all your stresses, I'm not going to make any promises about that whatsoever. What it absolutely can do is create enough margin around your spirit and around your thinking to give you... Um, I love, I love the name of the show. So I I will use it again. That will allow you that opportunity to shift something, to get, to, to get less unstuck. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what we need. Well, it isn't that so good. The, um, the, uh, let's talk about it a little more technically. I'm I'm curious. This is selfish of me. Uh, just quickly. Is it really like, I mean, you talk about space, boy, space is a beautiful thing. Um, the people that I have brought into my life, um, I've learned, you know, I always wanted to feel understood and I always wanted yeah. to feel like I was welcome. Isn't that what we all go through? And then, but what I've learned is the people that make me feel understood and the people that make me feel welcome in my life are the people that just give me the space and yeah. that's all they do. They don't really understand me, wow. right? They don't I really, that. I mean, mm-hmm. they invite me to be around whatever, but it doesn't, it's not a hinge point of success. It's just that they actually just give you space. And isn't that such an amazing thing? And, and to the technical part is really in psychology, we'd talk about it cognitively about really one way you interrupt the pattern, right? And then you reframe the situation fundamentally is, is really what you do. And you can't really reframe a situation until you are able to interrupt the pattern. So that can be done instantly. That can take time. Uh, is, is that really what you're looking at with music is music is that possibility of interruption and then once that interruption has happened, then the, the brain starts, depending on the person, the kind of music, the brain starts to react differently. Now that space comes in and you can go, oh, you know what? Didn't really like that job anyway, <laughs> right? Or whatever, is right. it that kind of stuff? Yeah, I would, I would say, I mean, I don't want to put music in a box that it only works one way, mm-hmm. but I would say that's an incredibly effective way mm-hmm. that it works, especially when we're looking 
at some of our lower points mm -hmm. and our deepest struggles, that it does give that moment of interruptions so you can see a moment, a glimmer of what's possible. Yeah. And what's possible, feel it too, which is cool. All right, so let's take a second here before we're done, Jennifer, to celebrate um, your work. This stuff, it's kind of new. It's been around forever, but it's still kind of new. Um, being recognized formally as therapy in the last couple of decades, really growing. March is Music Therapy Awareness Month. Uh, there are more books, like the books you write, Wellness Well Played. There uh, is so much going on. But even your organization, let's celebrate that because you have managed to assemble uh, a large group of some of the most talented and, and caring people because it does take a special person carrying people around to uh, to come together into this. I mean, so it really is starting to carve a new path where it works um, capitally in today's society it employs and at the same time provides one hell of a service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So congratulations on that. Tell me about your team. Thank you. Well, I'm very fortunate in this community practice that I've got a team of 18, as you say, extremely kind, highly skilled people who will go and their youngest client will be two months old, their eldest 104. They, we are generalists by trade. We do not specialize in any one area, but we do work in some pretty highly complex organizations. And I'm sure you can appreciate that, uh, you know, throughout COVID, we were in person in ICU. We were in person on the neuro rehab and burns units. Um, we are working with other practitioners. We do not see ourselves as isolated, that our best work is when we're partnering with other incredibly dedicated professionals and organizations and working towards this holistic and, and, and multifaceted point of view that the human being's complex and requires a lot of things. And to be able to be a part of that is, has been extremely exciting. On a national level, um, we are looking at about a thousand certified music therapists across the country um, working in community practices like the one I've experienced, but they are also working in Canada's largest hospitals and on trauma units, and they're working in long-term care, um, they're working in schools, and, uh, and we're growing all the time. When I graduated, which was over 30 years ago now, um, I was number 133 certified music oh, wow. therapist hey. in Canada. So we are growing and happening and uh, hopefully we can help uh, fill the mental health gap um, that I keep hearing about a lot mm -hmm. and I'm sure uh, the country's hearing about a lot. Yeah, well, I've heard it very directly to acknowledge that from my psychologist, my counselor, myself, I have a couple of other friends that are psychologists. And um, that conversation is um, imperative to think that this this could be one of those other outlets that allows uh, even psychologists to do what they're best at, because maybe that particular client can accelerate for the next six months with a music therapist. I mean, how magical would that scenario be, right? Or maybe both. Absolutely. For that matter. Yeah, absolutely. This is cool. Um, do you have a go to what's your go to song? That's your, what's your cheat song? You're just like, this is my switch. You know what? I really love the song Love Train by Keb Moe. Mm -hmm. 
The original, yeah. like the the old throwback, was the OJ's that one? It's the it, I think I think you might be yeah. correct. Yeah, it's the old throwback, but he it's it's the way he does it mm -hmm. that makes it so special. I love yeah. it. Well, that's what we're going to use to finish this, and uh, pretty fantastic. Thank you for sharing this. Keep us uh, keep us in the loop, if you will, about all of the bits and pieces that go on um, with the Canadian Association of Music Therapists, Executive Director Jennifer Buchanan. Really nice to meet you. Thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. All the way from the West Coast and Surrey, British Columbia, Andy Barrar, handyandymedia.com is here. You can follow his YouTube page and see what he gets up to. The website has all the posts. Also, shiftheads.ca if you want to see his posts that he likes to share with us on the Facebook group as well. Hello, Andy. Hi, Shane. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Got your uh, classy robe on here. Radio serves as well. <laughs> it's it's still cold, you know. I know it's spring break, but uh, it, it's still cold around around where I'm at right now. So I'm I'm staying warm, keeping the heat down, trying to save some money. Yeah, gotta be frugal. Gotta be frugal. That's, that's my way. That's, does. What, that's what I do. He does. He really does. Okay, coming up here in our conversation with Andy, Andy, we are going to get into um, some space stuff, some internet things. We're going to get into uh, TikTok. We're also going to get into. The breed of your dog. We were chatting about this earlier. Demi said that she doesn't care what her dog is because uh, what kind of dog is it? Uh, he's a good boy. But aside from that, many people want to know. My mom is the same. She wanted to know her dog. They found the dog in a desert in Arizona. They saw this little thing go scampering across the highway, and they pulled over, and there was a kill shelter that was just down the way. And, I mean, the kill shelter, you just basically, people would take their dogs and just drop them in the, there was like a public drop-off, kind of like the old days when you used to drop off your VHS tapes or when you drop off your keys to the mechanic, there was a place there where you could just go drop off your dogs. And then the dogs would go into the shelter. If they weren't adopted, then off they go. Well, they didn't even maintain the fences. The dogs would just get dropped off. Then they just run away because there was holes they dug underneath the fences. Saw this tiny little booger of a dog run across the road. My dad's like, I think that's a puppy. So they pulled over. And this little squirt of a dog was terrified, dehydrated, everything else is now Dusty the Desert Dog, um, lives in Alberta, and my parents adopted it. But they didn't know what kind of dog it was when they got it, so they were super curious to find out. And that's where the story begins. What do you got? Yeah, so you could actually get your dog's DNA tested. There are these at-home DNA kits that you could use, and it can tell you a lot about your dog, including the breed personality traits, this is what they claim, and even genetic health concerns. Because you know, some animals, you know, especially dogs, when you mix the breeds, they can have some types of health concerns. And what these kits aim to do is to tell you that. However, you have to take these kits with a grain of salt chain, because if you take the same dog and give them various kits, uh, the results will be very, very different. So there's not really consistency when it comes to these. And so that's why you might find some information, but I think everything that you do see about that dog, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt, but it can probably give you some information that you didn't know about your dog. So 
there is some value, but uh, I think it still has to go a ways with dogs. But they, they're also doing this on humans, and that sample size is getting um, bigger. And also AI with the with the fronts that we've had with AI, I think that's going to help make this industry really grow. Because believe it or not, Shane, it it next month is the twentieth anniversary of the human genome being sequenced. It was happened wow. back in uh, two thousand and three. And I remember it vividly because I was in university when that happened. It was a really, really big deal. 20 years later, here we are talking about DNA kits for, for humans and also DNA kits for your pets. And, you know, I don't know how they did that with the pets, but with the human genome, you know, they, they, they figured it out. They sequenced the genome. And from there, they can start to look inside to see different traits and what's really inside our genes. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to leave that alone. Um, the The reality is, though, is that the results are vastly different. Maybe you're seeing a different article than the one I saw that, like, they have, some people have tested the results, right? Send the same sample yes. to, different, to different places and had widely different results. I think yes. um, was one of them was a Great Dane was what it was. Purebred Great Dane was sent in. And one of the places actually sent back Chihuahua. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, well, that's the problem because, you know, there are still purebreds out there. So you, you can use that as your kind of baseline test when you go against all these DNA kits. And they are widely variable. So I, I just don't know as a consumer right now, how do you pick? How do you know which one is more accurate? And it's really, really tough. And they're not even expensive. Like the, the one that I saw is about $60 for this dog DNA kit. So you, I guess you get what you pay for. Um, but I do think they will get better over time. I just think that um, you know it's just not there yet, and and we'll have to see what kind of company comes out on front on that. But we're in that age with AI and you know looking at DNA that we should be able to to really find some insight inside that DNA with our pets. It is quite fascinating um, to look at it that way. Yeah, the one article that I saw, Andy, had basically they had tested a Great Dane and they received wild results from all over the place, and at one I think it was one of them they sent in human DNA and they got dog results back. So oh, you have wow. to, like you described, you have to be able to, um, you, you have to be able to trust it and learn from it. And I think some of the promises that are being made might be a little lofty because there's no way to verify it unless you get multiple tests done, which could be costly, of course. Yeah. And then you have to, you know, I mean, I guess if it appeases your curiosity and you like the result, you're like, yeah, my dog is classy breed. And then you can go with that storyline. And then from there, if you don't like your dog, <laughs> just get another test done. It might come back as a nicer breed than the one you think, you know? It works. Exactly. It and works. I, it really comes down to the algorithms that these companies, because they're having proprietary algorithms that say that they can look inside that DNA and, and find this insight. So... The algorithm is only good as the sample size. So it really, it's the company that has the biggest sample size is going to probably over time have the better algorithm. But I just don't think they're there yet. Now, when you look at the human DNA kits, I'm going to actually try these because I'm really curious if, if we're there yet on the human side because it's a larger sample. Like I said, the human genome was sequenced 20 years ago. You know, can it find stuff? So there's this one company, Shane, um, tell me, Jen, they, they claim to be the most complete DNA kit out there. And they can actually say in this, they're claiming that they can tell your genetic predisposition 
to certain diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, arthritis, asthma, even bipolar disorder, depression, and prostate cancer, to name a few. So mm-hmm. what I'm really interested in by, by looking at these kits, doing similar what we're talking about with the dogs, you know, an individual like myself taking different tests, DNA tests, and see if the results are similar. And using stuff that I already know about myself, say like one of these tests, they can tell your caffeine tolerance and whether you're likely to become dependent on caffeine, alcohol, nicotine. So I'm going to try to figure out if there is any kind of insight and if this is worthy for you know consumers out there to invest in. And then the other case is if it is accurate, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know that you have these predispositions for certain diseases? Or maybe some of them actually will tell you if, if you have certain medication will work for you or if you try something else. So there's a lot of insight. I just not sure about the accuracy. And the only way to find out, Shane, is to try it out and try multiple tests and see if there is some kind of commonality based upon what you know about yourself and what these tests say. Uh, you already know your background. <laughs> and by the way, one of the variables is not painfully handsome that you fill out in the checkbox, just so you know. <laughs> hey, hey, these tests uh, actually will say if you if you have a, a propensity for male pattern baldness. So if you're bald really? and it says you should have a head of hair, you know that there's something wrong there. Um, but if you wrong. are bald and it says you would be bald, you know, then you it's accurate. What they're doing is they're looking at different sample sizes. They'll say, whoever is bald, try to find some commonalities in those genes. That's what the AI is trying to do. But we just don't know how accurate that is. And that's why I want to try them out to see if they're actually of a good value. Because if you go on Amazon right now and type in DNA kit, you're going to see a lot of these. And you can buy them. You can, you know, submit your DNA from at home using saliva and then send it back out. But are they accurate? And I think that's really what I want to get down to to see if if there is any insight or if it's just kind of a, a marketing ploy. Now, I don't want to be too conspiracy theorist, but are you a little afraid that your DNA is going to end up on some robot database somewhere when the, you know, the end of the world comes and they'll be like, we must kill this guy. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, I, I worry about that being publicly, you know, potentially traded, you know. Yes, and that's a really good point because you are submitting your DNA. So when you look at these companies, and I've been doing this, Shane, is what are their privacy policies? A lot of them say, after the test, we will destroy your DNA. Other ones saying that you could actually um, submit your DNA for research purposes, but it's going to be completely anonymous. So these companies are understanding that for a lot of people, privacy is going to be a very big concern. So they're giving options whether you can get that destroyed or if you can anonymously submit it for research purposes because they do need more DNA for that algorithm to work. So it's kind of a catch-22 situation for a lot of people, yeah. you know, to, to get your DNA tested, you got to submit your DNA. Yeah, and I get, I, that scares me a little bit, right? Because I'm, I don't know, just they say that it's going to go to whatever and all of a sudden you, you're going to get on the subway train and you look and there's literally you because they've cloned you and they're selling cloned versions of you. Yeah, I don't know, maybe that's a little lofty, but still, I mean, I can't be the only one. Okay. Yeah, no, that that is a, a, a big concern. But I, I think, you know, if you could find out like you had a, say, a predisposition to a certain illness and you found that through a DNA test and then made lifestyle changes because of that and to help you, you know, prevent getting that illness, I think it would be a good value. It's just, we just don't know. And the only way to know is to just try these tests out. 
and and see if there is insight. Um, but it's all based on science. It's based on data sets and it's based on algorithms and AI. So the recipe is there. I just don't know if we're there yet. It's been 20 years. Let's, you know, it's, it seems like a good time to test this out to see if there, if there is yeah. any utility in these kind of DNA kits for, for people. Well, it does, um, it does lead to the size of the database they have, the amount of dogs they can compare it to, and all of those things. No word yet if the database return on info includes likes, bum scratches, and ear rubs, uh, which Andy does, by the way. Handy Andy Barrar is with us, handyandymedia.com to follow along his YouTube channel. Uh, the two text messages, first one is from Andrew in Toronto. He says, I've done two DNA tests. They were amazingly accurate. Uh, when it comes to finding relatives, you'll discover thousands of first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth cousins. However, the health predictions are a bit of a coin toss. So that's some good tip there from Andrew. I think it's all right. Derek and Edmondson says, I don't understand how everyone's making such a big deal about TikTok being owned by a Chinese company, yet uh, so many layers of data misuse, yet TikTok is a sponsor of the Junos on Monday night, also the helmet sponsor for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, here's the thing. Um, no problem for some companies and organizations to take the money from TikTok. It's the governments that are saying that TikTok is a problem. And Andy's got some info on maybe some more Chinese influence from TikTok, but not in the way that we've been hearing through the government directly. Well, that that's the thing is like everyone's talking about TikTok. Governments are banning it on the phones. The, the question is, what could TikTok do? Like, what is the big concern? And what the U.S. national security officials are really concerned about TikTok is that it could use that vast global reach that it has to shape public opinion because they control the algorithm. They could suppress certain videos or promote other videos to sway public opinion. And I think that's the genius. If, if China was actually doing this to try to sway public opinion, boy, oh boy, did they get a winner because they got all the youth now using TikTok. You have loads of influencers moving from Instagram to TikTok, that algorithm, because, and the reason why they're moving is you can build following very quickly. If you have some kind of niche type of content, you know, TikTok will then push that out to people who are looking for that content. And then suddenly you've got all these eyeballs. So there's a lot of money to be made on that side, but it's the, the security concerns, the national security concerns is what is worrying all these countries, even the EU has banned TikTok on the European Union, um, the people that actually run the EU on their devices. So TikTok's in a very, very sticky situation here. They have to kind of alleviate these security concerns. And I don't know how they're going to do that other than sell it to a U.S. company, have all that data stay on you know U.S. soil or Canadian soil and not have that access. But Provided that ByteDance, the parent company, so long as they have those close ties to Beijing, at any point in time, Beijing can say, based upon their national laws, hey, we need access to that data for national security concerns. TikTok would have to give it to them. So it's, it's a question of where is that data being stored and how much of that data can the Chinese government get access to if they actually wanted it to? And then number three, what would they do with the platform like TikTok if they wanted to sway public opinion across the globe. And that's what the big concern that national security officials have about TikTok. Well, if they haven't done it already. 
safe to say. And I would say that the influence that they have by just promoting stupid videos and then promoting smart kid videos in China is a good example of the influence that they're having. But if that's the conversation, then Facebook and the the proliferation of false ads is kind of the same thing. They should be looking at all of these ones that don't have an ad standard council to protect the information that's getting shared. Uh, right. Because I mean, broadcast standards, there are rules where you can broadcast things on TV or radio, but there are no rules for the internet. So, you know, it seems to me that if it's going to talk about TikTok that way, then we're going to have to talk about all of them that way too. Um, we're just going to move on here, Andy, because I want to get this last one before we run out of time, because speaking of that, Facebook, uh, must see some vulnerability in Twitter because there's some gossip there. Yeah, and I kind of predicted this, that Facebook would try to create a standalone text-based social network app to compete against Twitter. And it looks like they do have a little inner project to do that. It's going to be a Twitter-like service, um, but it's going to be on the framework of Mastodon. That was one of the Twitter alternatives. It was a decentralized social network. And it looks like Facebook is going to try to create their own version. The only difference is with Mastodon, it was a hard barrier to entry. You had to sign up. It was really confusing. And I think they lost a lot of people at the sign up. With this new Facebook idea of what they're doing for their Twitter-like social network is you could use your Instagram login to get into this network. So we'll see if this comes out. But you know, a lot of people wonder, will Twitter be you know around in the future with Elon Musk being at the control? Or can a company like Facebook, which definitely needs a win, after the metaverse failures and, and all the struggles that they're having to try to attract younger people, this will be an interesting thing to see if they could create something like Twitter and then get people to use that instead of Twitter because of people that may not support Elon Musk. That, that'll be an interesting thing to see if Mark Zuckerberg can pull that one off or not. One of the big changes I've noticed on Twitter, Andy, is that uh, the, I don't know, first 20 tweets that I see every time I open the app are not even from people that I follow. Yeah. They're just from the algorithm finding new people and filling my feed with people I don't even follow, which is problematic to me because of the fact that, I mean, this is not who I'm choosing to follow. But, um, you know, I mean, that's going to be one key factor for what people choose to, if they don't feel like they have control over what they see and they're just getting force fed things, then that stuff's going to not be sticking around. Um, that's for sure. I mean, they must be seeing a big change in their uh, usage. HandyAndyMedia.com is his website. Follow his YouTube channel. Go to shiftheads.ca. You can find him there too. Looking handsome in his robe. Keeping warm with the frugal temperature down. Good to see you, buddy. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with 877-399-9898, that is our phone number to get your thoughts and contribution here on these various little topics that we have, uh, we call, are you okay with, okay, Demi's here, uh, she's in Calgary, I'm here, John O'Chung's in Vancouver, are you okay with cookies? I'm saving one. Look, see? <laughs> I have it here. Cookies, yes or no? Is that your go-to treat, Demi? Yeah, I love cookies. I love myself a chocolate chip cookie. It's the only one I'll eat, but I love it. Chocolate chip? Chocolate mm -hmm. on chocolate chip? Or like a chocolate dough chocolate no. chip? Just like a Keep straight chocolate chip. Classic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. John O'Chung, um, I know that you're all healthy and responsible. You're the responsible one of the group. I feel like you don't eat sugar or something, but what about cookies? Yeah, I mean, I do eat cookies. I like the white chocolate and academia nut cookies that you get from Costco. That's my favorite uh, type of cookie. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good cookie. Give you credit. I do buy those packs, too, so I'm with you on that. Girl Scout cookies have become the latest victim of inflation in Canada, and, oh, this is good, that could have people feeling pretty crummy. <laughs> love it now what starts with the letter c cookie starts with c let's think of other things that starts with c uh, uh, who cares about other things c is for cookie that's good enough for me c is for cookie that's good enough for me c is for cookie that's good enough for me oh cookie 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 starts with c oh uh. It's New Music Monday here on The Shift, and that is just a beautiful piece of music, isn't it? God love the Cookie Monster. Okay, Girl Guides of Canada is raising the price of their beloved cookies to $6. The price increase takes effect this month, and uh, the Girl Guides spring fundraising drive is ramping up. It means that a member of Girl Guides could show up your door, knock, knock. You're going to have to shell out an extra loony for a box of basic chocolate and vanilla sandwich cookies. Ooh, okay, so Jono likes macadamia, and Demi likes chocolate. So of Girl Guide cookies, you're not allowed to like mint because those are terrible. Um, the Those mint ones they have? The um, chocolate or vanilla, which one would you go for, the brown one or the, the white one? I, I mean, I would go chocolate for sure, 100%. Right. All right, Jono? I will go for chocolate as well. Really? See, I would go for the vanilla one. I think the vanilla is the underdog. It's the secret awesomeness, right? Everyone goes for the chocolate first, but I think that's, I think that's backwards. Okay, uh, Girl Guides explains the cost of ingredients, baking, shipping have all gone up. The price increase will allow Girl Guide members to continue raising the same amount of funds and not pay the price for the increased cost. It's the first time Guides have upped the cost of cookies in over a decade. 2012 is when they did it, and that's when it went up to $5 instead of $4 for the box of cookies but hey if you think about it for 20 bucks you don't need any change a couple of bucks give that to the kids you can get three boxes of cookies still kind of works out so maybe they'll sell more because of the inconvenience of having change i don't know if they've got to the point yet where you can tap and pay with tap for your girl guy cookies but to me that would be a very uh, forward-thinking bunch of um guides cool stuff Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Share your thoughts here. Are you okay with ranch, as in the flavor? Ranch. Ooh, I like ranch. It's a favorite, I, Demi. I hate ranch. I hate it. Really? I do. I don't think. At least I don't remember it being a thing in England. Like, I never tried it until I moved here. Oh, probably not. Yeah. Mm. Um, ranch is, you know what ranch is really good for? Ranch is really good on, like, a BLT sandwich. Instead of mayo, use ranch. That's a secret. That's a beautiful thing. Jono, do you like ranch? I do like ranch, yes. I do, especially the, the craft bacon ranch that I usually put on my Caesar salad. Oh, you just like bacon. Yeah, well, that's like people who say they like uh, Brussels. They don't like. Oh, I don't like Brussels sprouts, but bacon wrapped ones. I like those ones. You don't like Brussels sprouts. You just like bacon. Um, so okay, well, 
I like ranch. I, I think that's it's one of my faves. It's one of my go tos. I think it's great. I, it maybe cultural thing, I suppose. Um, but how about this? Maybe let's change that. A popular salad dressing, ranch, is trying something new uh, in the dessert section of the grocery store. Ranch-flavored ice cream. No, it's not an early April Fool's joke. It is all too real. Hidden Valley Ranch Dressing is partnering up with Walmart and Van Leeuwen Ice Cream to create a limited run of the questionable flavor to celebrate National Ranch Day. The renowned ranch maker is also owned by the same company that makes Clorox, and it said in a statement, Hidden Valley Ranch goes well with just about everything, but ice cream is a first for us. Now, the owners of Van Leeuwen Ice Cream say the cold collab has the tang of buttermilk, flavorful herbs, and a touch of sweetness, adding it pairs well with salty snacks. It's only going to be available at Walmart from March 20th through to May 28th. As for how it's being received, early reviewers say crushed potato chips or pretzel pieces make a pretty good topping. Some people online say the idea of ranch as an ice cream flavor is nauseating, but surprisingly, a lot of other people seem to be making space in their freezer for it. So far, no company has come forward to make a cone out of croutons. Kareem Gouda, Global News. <laughs> okay, Jono, would you put some bacon sprinkles on your ranch ice cream then? Uh, well, I'm off to try. I'm not a picky eater, so I'll try it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Demi. Um, apparently, ranch is not a thing in the UK when you grow mm -mm. up. But mm -mm, no, and ranch I love ice cream. Ice cream. I love ice cream, and I would never ruin it with ranch ever in my life. That would go straight in the mm -hmm. garbage for me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Gross. I, feel I think I feel you on that one. Uh, Hidden yeah. Valley and Van Leeuwen Ice Cream are teaming up to do this. It is National Ranch Day on Friday, so it's a great publicity stunt. Well done. They say new ranch-flavored ice cream is filled with the same herbs, buttermilk, and sweetness that people can find in a bottle of ranch dressing, all while enjoying creamy consistency of ice cream. The creators are encouraging buyers to buy the new uh, buy dessert salty snacks. Flavor will be briefly on sale at Walmart uh, through the course of the end of the month until the end of May. You know where else a great place to put ranch dressing if you don't? Oh, well, you're from you're from England. You, you must love potatoes. That's a thing. Um, mashed potatoes. Mm. Nothing. Not even mashed potatoes. Mm -mm. No. The only thing really? I put on my mashed potatoes is gravy. Yeah, so what you do is you actually use, instead of milk inside no. your mashed potatoes, use ranch dressing and then whip it. Whip it good. No, I won't do that. No. no. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God, that's so good. I just... Uh... Mashed potatoes. Whip it good. So, Jono? Yeah. Um, I know you live with your folks, so you probably don't do the bulk of the cooking. Um, mashed potatoes are a thing in your house? It is. Yeah, usually on Sundays we have mashed potatoes with a Caesar salad. But I have it, uh, we have the, the Ikea gravy, the powder gravy, and we make that Ikea gravy oh, yeah. and we put on the mashed potatoes. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. My son would, can you come, like, if he can come live at your house, he'd be happy. He loves Caesar salad and he loves mashed potatoes, so there you go. Come on, you can't. It's Devo. potatoes with ranch no still not talking demi into it okay demi's a tough uh tough one here to get through with the foods are you like a picky eater in general do you find because i'm kind of feeling maybe 
No, you know what? I don't think I am. I think I'm a logical ear. Like I like flavors that work and I don't like to deviate off the path of horrible flavors. <laughs> That's so good. I love your confidence in that statement too. Very well done. Are you okay with... Uh, Demi is in South Calgary. I'm in Calgary too on the North End. I'm Shane Hewitt and... Um, John was in downtown Vancouver. Oh, um, you're going to have to keep this bed going, John, because I just thought of something. We have a shift head that um, is working daytime mostly now, but his uh, name is uh, uh, Raj. And, and Raj hates ranch, actually, was his name. He hated ranch so much that he included it in his name when he would text us. So that's the thing. Um, ranch is disgusting. Peppercorn ranch, on the other hand, is amazing. So there you go. That's another text. All right, let's do it again. Are you okay with... Getaway drivers. I think it's cool. What a cool job, right? Like you're, you're like the bad guy, but you're not really in the crime, but you're an accessory to the crime and you get to do the fun stuff like escape the police in the movies. That's cool to me. It's a fun job. Although the getaway driver in many movies is also this, the, not the smartest of the, the criminals. You know what I mean? You ever notice that? True. True. And they're uh, still a criminal. Well, criminal adjacent. Nah. You could argue that in court. Yeah. Yeah. John O'Chung, you ever uh, take a mom's Rav Four for a rip there? Pretend you're a pretend you're a getaway driver. You know, put on your your fingerless gloves and mm -hmm. grab onto that steering wheel and take it for a little rip there in the whip. Uh, no, I I follow the law and I go at the speed limit. <laughs> Of course you do. Yeah. My sister can attest to this, that when I drive, like, because uh, the speed limit is 50 km per hour, my needle, the needle of the speedometer is on 50. Wow. Yeah. Do you, are you like that? Are you one of those people that when you're a passenger, you're like, 10 and 2, man, 10 and 2. Get those hands at 10 and 2. Okay, I'm not a backseat driver, but <laughs> I, okay. I always stress that. <laughs> I always go at the speed limit. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, not all thieves are stealthy. Some just aren't cut out for a fast-paced life of crime. Baby, the target is an armored truck at Perimeter Trust in Dunwoody, 10 a.m. sharp. The switch car is ready, but you want me to hit the long state parking structure and get a high vehicle that stays colder longer? It needs to be ready for an 8.30 start. Questions? You've been my driver for every job since we met. You're the best in the business. behind the wheel again. One more job and I'm done. One more job and we're straight. Hey. Hey, baby. Uh, that's from Baby, uh, Baby Driver. What a fantastic movie that is. I like a good heist movie, and that is a, a great one there. Okay, so these drivers, not in Florida, unfortunately, two alleged thieves were busted up in Georgia after stealing $8,000 worth of electronics then stopping in their getaway car to charge it. You can't make it up, seriously. The two criminals stole goods from a local store, and they were found just 10 miles away because they were driving a Tesla, and they had to stop and charge it. The irony of the electronics theft is just beautiful. It's a thing of beauty. And the electric car part is also um 
Also great. I love it. <laughs> Come on, man. How fast is this thing going to take to charge? Uh, okay, th- that's a good argument for the internal combustion engine, at least for criminals, right? This isn't the first time a Tesla has ruined someone's route to loot. An Arizona woman reportedly stole a Tesla in 2019, but it ran out of battery during her escape. Just died, so she got caught. In 2020, a 21-year-old man attempted to carjack someone's Tesla, Tesla, and the owner played the reverse Uno card by remotely locking the thief in the vehicle and um, and and trapping him there. So some benefits to the Tesla. Teslas are not working in the favor of the bad people, without a doubt. Um, I love that. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.